0: Guys, I didn't bring a a blue card with me today, and I I hate that, but I want to remind you that this is the month that we nominate men for the office of elder. Um, I don't do that nominating, and there's no committee that does it. You do it. Uh, If you're a member of this church, you nominate men for the office of elder, and it takes all month. We give you the whole month to do so. We have 10 days left. As I understand it, it takes 10 nominations, independent nominations, to become a nominee. As I understand it, we do not have one yet that has arrived at that plateau. So you've got some work to do between now and the 31st, and we'll be closed the night of the 31st. So it'll need to be done by 5 o'clock on the 31st, and I hope that you'll um, take care of that. Now, guys, um, my text this morning is found in the book of Jeremiah, and and I invite you to take a look at it, Jeremiah chapter uh, one. But before I read it, I want to I try to explain something. We're about to put that, that text on the screen. Um, and we were thinking that we could do that ongoingly, but we've run into a snag already. And that snag is this. You will notice that the, the text will t- uh, this morning is three verses. The screen itself can hold about five verses that are in a large enough font for people in the back to read it. So it doesn't serve any purpose to have three or four screens. Then we've got all these interruptions and coordination between that. It just won't work. So whereas the text, when they're this size, we'll probably have them up for you on Sunday mornings. But when they're larger than this, and most of them will be, we're not going to do this. So it means don't stop bringing your Bibles. You'll need your Bibles, but every now and then we'll try to find a text that's small enough to to flash on the screen for you. So here it is, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, if you will um, follow as I read from this inerrant book. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. In the thirteenth year of his reign, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, it endures forever. You know, guys, I don't really have much of a sermon for you this morning. Um, what I have is more of, a, it's more of an introduction to a series. Um, you might even consider it perhaps even a, a few words of warning concerning what we're about to do in the book of Jeremiah. You know, I've never preached through a major prophet before. There are only three of them. Um, Some say four, some would include Daniel I don't, but there's only three major prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel And um, of those three, the easiest of the three to preach is is Jeremiah I I say that because, uh, I mean, I think it's the easiest Because it contains so many stories Um, And you're going to see that as as we work our way through the book but uh, about chapter 28 to chapter 39, it's just one story right after the other. Um, and it's that those stories that I think give the book more of a, a user-friendly quality to it than, than say, Isaiah or Ezekiel. Uh, now, there's, there's something that you need to understand, kind of a, a bit of um, uh, Jewish history. Jeremiah is going to and you noticed it in the text or at least maybe you did Jeremiah is speaking to Judah now you may recall that Israel used to be one nation it was one nation under David and Solomon but then at the death of Solomon his son Rehoboam became king and it split into two the northern kingdom was called Israel the southern kingdom was called Judah Judah the headquarters, of the capital city was Jerusalem. But the northern kingdom is long gone. It was uh, overrun by the Assyrians, I don't know, 115, 20 years before the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom or the kingdom that is called Judah. Okay? So if, if I happen to say Israel... Uh, we're really only talking about half of Israel now because the northern half is gone. And the, the bottom half is the uh, it's the nation to which Jeremiah addresses all of his prophetic utterance. All right? Now, who is Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah? He's a prophet. And as you know, you can't trust a prophet. At least that's what our 21st century Western mind believes. You see, prophets can be dangerous. And indeed they can. Um, prophets are thunderers. By that I mean, if you, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, Moses Moses is who is on the top of Mount Sinai and, and he's got two tablets in his hands and uh, on which are written the Ten Commandments and he's just come down from the top of Sinai having received the Ten Commandments. And the lower he gets, the more he hears coming or emanating from the, the camp below and as he gets closer, as he draws closer, he sees that the people have just gone wild. They've broken out into this, this party that is... It's just, they've lost their minds. And so in the midst of seeing that, Moses takes those two commandments, very precious things, uh, those two tablets with the commandments on them. He takes them and throws them down in a fit of rage and and busts them into, into a thousand pieces. And by the way, you know that he was never rebuked by God for that. but you see our culture doesn't permit behavior like that anymore we don't we don't we, we won't tolerate that and um, i think i get it i think i understand th- that there are several reasons why we don't here's one here's one reason we don't because because now we can never quite be sure if the prophet's righteous anger is righteous. You know, guys, you're going to hear in this series on Jeremiah, message after message after message that has an edge to it, a... um, a shrill one at that. Um, He always, or Jeremiah always seems to have an edge to what he's saying. And you begin to wonder, is that edge a righteous edge? You see, guys, it's not that Jeremiah's message is depressing. Oh, no, it's far worse than that. It's that his message is severe. And this culture doesn't want that kind of message. You know, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Perhaps you've heard that. And, and he weeps for lots of reasons, I guess, but one of them being that his persistent message, his persistent message to Judah, is one of God's impending judgment and um and of course, Judah shies away from i mean that's nicely said. Judah rejects that kind of message, and so we don't we don't tolerate prophets speaking anymore today here Here's another reason that I don't think our culture trusts them um, you know. Jeremiah is speaking to a nation. He's speaking to Israel or Judah. And he's speaking to her at a time when she is in great danger. And it's a danger that has been brought on by their own sin. And that is a word, sin, that our culture uses very sparingly. Oh, there are some things that we'll call sin. I mean, if you abuse a child, that's sin. But uh, we don't use that very often. No, no. We don't like the word. We don't like the sound of it. And so our culture, here's this message about sin, and they, they, they uh, really draw back, put up their guard. You see, guys, whatever you want to call it, you're going to see that the people of Jerusalem had done it. Um, there is as much sin in the book of Jeremiah... As you'll find in any book of the Old Testament, and, and, and maybe even more, page after page, message after message, prophecy after prophecy, Jeremiah has identified the sins of the people of Judah. He has, he, you'll find that he preaches against forsaking God, worshiping idols, "...committing adultery, forgetting the Lord, practicing prostitution, ignoring the prophets, oppressing the poor, rejecting the truth, doubting God, abusing the weak, speaking lies, pursuing wealth, harming aliens, murdering the innocent, stealing goods, committing perjury, following Baal, breaking the Sabbath, slaughtering children, betraying friends, and breaking the covenant." To mention but a few. So you see, our our culture hears that over and over and over and over again and says, wait a minute. We don't allow prophets anymore. You see, my fear is, and maybe it's why I've avoided The major prophets before, but my fear is that that you're going to tire, much like your culture. You're going to tire of hearing that edge, or you're going to tire at hearing sin denounced by Jeremiah or me or whomever. I'm trying to prepare you. Studying the book of Jeremiah is going to be a long slog. We'll skip a chapter here and there, but it's going to be a long slog, and you, as listeners, will be forced to decide over and over and over again is that true? Was it true of them? Is it true of us? And may God help us in that process of figuring out whether the message is for us. Guys, um, Again, you may, you may grow weary of hearing about sin. So here's the advice that I offer you. Trust Jeremiah, but don't trust me. You see, I call myself a prophet too. Did you know that? But I'm a prophet, not in the predictive sense—that is, that I can predict the future. I've I never made that claim. I call myself a prophet in terms in, in the Pauline sense. He has a definition of a prophet in 1 Corinthians 14, verse three, where they're for consolation and encouragement. I call myself that kind of prophet, but I can promise you that the edge that you will hear in my voice will not always be righteous. So, trust this prophet, but don't trust this one. You know, there's, um, there's another reason that I think I can point out as to why our culture so resists a prophetic message. It's because that people like me in this office in the office of pastor or ongoingly has brought such shame to the message that we preach, the gospel that we represent. You take, for instance, the, um, the frontline news of the Roman Catholic Church and what they've done to abuse children. Or maybe you're familiar with the name Bill Heibels in the church in Chicago. Here's a name that you probably won't recognize, Art Arzurdia, or maybe Bill Gothard, maybe you've heard that name, or perhaps this one, Andy Savage, all having brought shame to the gospel office of pastor and prophet. And so when our culture hears of a message from some kind of prophetic message, they, they immediately say, wait a minute. We don't trust behavior like that anymore. We don't tolerate it anymore. Maybe, maybe Jeremiah, but not anymore. So my plea for you is, trust Jeremiah, but um, be careful of the of the other guy that calls himself a prophet. That means you're going to have to listen with a good deal of discernment for a long series. Now, secondly, Jeremiah shows up at a time in Judah's history um, when she as a nation was rushing headlong into destruction. So that's the setting. That's the setting of the book of Jeremiah. Um, And you have a nation running headlong into destruction and a prophet speaking truth to a decadent age. Does that sound relevant to you? A prophetic message spoken to a decadent age. Do you think that's needed? Guys, verses 1 through 3 tell us that Jeremiah's ministry occurs in the last 40 years of the history of Judah. What the first three years, what the first three verses are giving you, is the historical moment into which this message was spoken, and in in the in the presence of a decadent age, to this man, the son of Hilkiah, we're told in verse two, that the word of the Lord came. Now, guys. That in and of itself is encouragement. That that, that in and of itself is a suggestive. It's an important little fact. Why? How so, Jimmy? Well, guys, the fact that having spoken and having been disobeyed, that God should continue to speak, the fact that he should persistently speak when there was no immediate response on the part of the hearer. The fact that he should continue to speak when he knew there would be no response and under such circumstances and at such a time that he should, be, that he should continue to speak in terms that would offer a remedy <laughs> the fact that he would speak at all. to a decadent age such as this. Pardon me. That alone should encourage the rest of us. Because you see, the message of Jeremiah is not just interesting. It's not just encouraging. What we ought to call it is a book about the long-suffering of God. It's a book about mercy. It's a book even about grace. That this God would raise up another prophet and he would continue to speak in the midst of a culture like that. Among all other things that the book of Jeremiah is, The book is a depiction of a long-suffering God. But ladies and gentlemen, it's even more than that. There is always in this book of Jeremiah a yes, but quality or message to these prophecies. Jeremiah's. Um. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay, um, Jeremiah will stand on the scene and he will say, your sin is great. Yes, but forgiveness on the heels of repentance is available. Your sin must be exposed and opposed. Yes, but They must constantly be told that if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will resent of the disaster that I intend to do to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I too am speaking to a nation. But I am not speaking to the U.S. of A. I am speaking to the church You know, Joe Biden, who was the um, ex-vice president under under Obama, Joe Biden just said a couple days ago, he said that we're in this upcoming election. We are fighting for the soul of this nation. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not fighting for the soul of this nation. I am fighting for the soul of the church who wants to play patty cake With things like sin and truth. I see the church in great danger. A danger of capitulating to the onslaught of unbelief. To the point that my own denomination. A denomination that was known for its conservative views. Is now hosting conferences like Revoice. Ladies and gentlemen, relativism has won. There are no more moral absolutes, say they. Absolutes are considered hate speech. There's this thing also called force speech. Speech that is being legislated in the name of political correctness. We are gagged by political correctness. Perversion that is called normal, good called bad, and bad called good. Where transgenderism is not simply allowed, it's hailed as courage. Folks, I, I think the church stands on a similar precipice to that of Israel's. And to us comes the message of Jeremiah through a flawed semi-prophet, pseudo-prophet. Guys, I'm trying to prepare you for a long series, a long series of severe messages. And I promise you, to not go out of my way to find the severity, just the opposite. In fact, I want you to hear these two verses from Paul. and The book of Romans starts out this way. This is Romans 1, 1, and 2. Listen. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Where did God, where were one of the places where God promised the gospel? He did it through the prophets. Jeremiah is a a prophet of the gospel. And we're gonna find the gospel. And I'm gonna preach the gospel. And we're gonna celebrate it every time we find it. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you. This is a book that is countercultural at every point. And so, this book is going to fall shrill on your ears. You see, Jeremiah doesn't know anything about a prosperity gospel, he doesn't know anything about consumer Christianity. He, he's not concerned about political correctness. And all of that, you see, that is the message of our day. That's the message that draws a crowd. The message of, of political correctness or, or consumerism or, or prosperity. But Jeremiah's message, oh my. It will be shrill and condemning and at some points downright scary. hope you're ready for that. Now, by the way, about the painting, um, let me give you a bit of history about this painting. It's up on the screen. You can't see it very well, but um, this is a Rembrandt print that my wife found back in the 80s. Um, she gave it to me for a birthday present. She paid $25 for the print. We, we paid a little bit more for the frame. <laughs> but the print itself, and by the way, that painting, or the original, I've seen that too. It hangs in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Um, but she gave it to me for a birthday present and and we had it framed and we hung it in my office in Ocala, Florida I think most of you know that I started my ministry in Ocala, Florida and I spent 10 years in Ocala, Florida well on one occasion um, R.C. Sproul was in my office my hero R.C. Sproul, you've heard of him (laughs) he was in my office and um, he saw this painting and he was just so impressed with it that he later mentioned it in one of his books. This is an R.C. Pro book. And I want to read you the paragraph. It's brief. He says, "Recently, I was in Ocala, Florida for a preaching mission when I walked into the minister's office. I did a double take at the painting I saw on the wall. I asked him, "Where did you get that? It's my favorite painting. I, I've never seen it hanging in anybody's home, much less someone's study. He later uh, goes on to call that th- that very thing. He calls it the classic expression of Christian art, and he, um, well, I-, I don't know. Think you can see this? Um, it's entitled, um, yeah. It's it's entitled the Prophet Jeremiah. And if you, um, you, you can't see it up there, and you're welcome to come look at this, just don't touch it. Uh, <laughs> but um, if, you, if you look at this painting, two things will very quickly stand out. The first thing that I think will stand out is that back here in the background, back over here, what he's painted is Jerusalem is going up in flames. And there are some people that are leaving Jerusalem sobbing as right behind them, their city is in flames. Jeremiah had been telling them for decades that God's judgment would fall on them because of their sin, and now it has. The other thing that I think you would notice if you looked at this painting is that, of course, Jeremiah is at the center, this old man. (laughs) This old man who is leaning leaning on his hand, and his elbow is resting on a book. And the book is entitled to the B I B E L, the Bible. That's how the Dutch spelled Bible. He is leaning on the Bible. He had preached it all his life. And now, his very message has come to fruition the judgment of God has fallen you know ladies and gentlemen in so many ways our culture is going up in flames you know I've said that before in my in my ministry and and people said oh there he goes again just another one of those preacher hyperboles but you know what I think you believe it now. I think you look around and you see what's happening in our culture and what's happening in our city and what's happening in the world and what's happening in our government. And, and I don't think I any longer have to try and convince you that in so many ways, the culture's on fire. And to that culture, there is one sure voice, and it is not mine. And I would say it's not even Jeremiah's. He knew that, and I know that. The only voice that matters is God's voice. So, in the course of a somewhat lengthy series Should God see fit in his kindness that the word of the Lord might come to us, then my friend, you stake your life on it. In spite of all the chatter and all the background noise, God speaks to you from this through a very flawed preacher. If you hear his voice, then you stake your life on it. Because you see, all else is sinking sand. In this book, Jeremiah over and over and over again offered Jerusalem a remedy. And so will I. His remedy was always the same. And so is mine. Christ and him crucified. Apart from him, all will go up in smoke. Do you believe that? Did God say that? Is that a message from God? over and over and over again throughout this series, you're going to have to answer that. Did God say that? Because if he did, then bank your life on it. Our Father, would you uh, use your word to direct your people, to govern your people, to um, steer your people, to console your people, to warn your people, to convict your people, to draw your people. Would you speak to us as to what is really true, not based on Jimmy Young's views, but based on what we discover from a book that is inspired from start to finish. And I pray, oh God, that you will um, grant the kind of discernment that's going to be necessary to sort some of these things out Um, for each individual who hears it. Would you give them your leadership to discover what your mind and what your voice is? Our Father, if you have led people in here this morning who have not yet embraced our Savior, would you cause them to see that ultimately everything apart from and outside of Jesus Christ will go up in smoke? And would you um, open their eyes to see that the only remedy, the only remedy offered to Jerusalem, to Judah, to us is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do that, Father, and we will rejoice in having added to that family which you are saving. We ask it all, of course, in the name of Jesus. Amen.